On September 16, 2016, 911 dispatch in Ashland County, Ohio, received a startling call. A young woman whispers into the phone that she has been abducted. When asked where her abductor is, she whispers the fear apparent in her voice, he is here with me in bed, sleeping. The dispatcher asks the woman who kidnapped her. She very clearly names her captor as Sean Great. The dispatcher asks the young woman if she can get out of the house. She tells the dispatcher that she is too afraid that he will wake up and that he has a taser. The dispatcher tells her that police are on the way and for the frightened young woman to stay on the phone with her. A few seconds later, the young woman, terrified, shakily whispers to the dispatcher that she has awakened her abductor. Hi, Curious Listener. Welcome to Corn Fed Killer. I'm your host, Michelle O'Dell. Have I got a doozy for you today. Today we are discussing the crimes of a man named Sean Great. Sean Great remains one of Ohio's most infamous serial killers and rapists. Before we get into his horrific crimes, let's take a peek at his background. Sean Great was born August 8, 1976, in Marion, Ohio, to parents Teresa McFarland and Terry Great. His sister recounted that their upbringing was pretty normal. The three children, Sister Barbara, Brother Ronald, and Sean, lived in a lower middle-class household with two parents who loved them and cared for them. That is, until 1982, when Teresa and Terry divorced. Sean was just six years old. Barbara says, the sister, that their mother became wild at that time. She got a job as a bartender and spent a majority of her time off partying with the bar patrons. Barbara claimed that mom Teresa would leave on a Friday night and not return until Sunday leaving the three children alone all weekend. As the oldest, just 12 years old at the time, Barbara became a mother figure for her two younger brothers. She says that Sean would act out frequently, for attention, obviously. And, you know, curious listener, you can't blame him, right? He's just a little boy whose parents have divorced. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. All right. But even before his parents' divorce, young Sean exhibited dangerous behaviors. He set his room on fire at just three years old. Sean's early school years were challenging. He didn't start speaking until he was four. And in kindergarten, he was diagnosed with a learning disability and was held back. Being held back caused some of his schoolmates to make fun of him. It was not an easy time for young Sean Great. He continued to struggle academically and socially throughout elementary school. 
But by the time he got to high school, he had discovered one thing that he was really good at. Baseball. He was quite a talented baseball player. The star of the school team, in fact. This garnered him some popularity among his classmates. And combined with his charisma and good looks, he didn't struggle finding dates in high school. His high school girlfriends, however, would not look back fondly at the time they spent dating Sean. The consensus among them was that he was very charming and attentive at the beginning. But then, as time went on, his violent temper and jealous tendencies would begin to show. At age 17, he broke his arm, throwing out a pitch at a baseball game, thus shattering his dreams of playing ball professionally. He shortly began his life of crime thereafter. He began his life of crime shortly thereafter. He was arrested just a couple weeks after he turned 18 for domestic violence. The girlfriend that he assaulted then gave birth to his first child. He would be arrested for domestic violence and even spend short stints in jail for the offenses throughout his adult life. In 1999, his violence against women escalated when he choked his 17-year-old pregnant girlfriend to the point of her almost losing consciousness. He is 22 at this time. He unfortunately and unfucking believably spent less than a month in jail for this crime. <sighs> Later that same year, after the 17-year-old had given birth to his child, he threatened her and her sister with a butcher knife. This time, the bastard spent some time in prison. Four years, to be exact. He was released in 2003 and promptly assaulted the now 21-year-old mother of his second child, choking her and forcing her to perform oral sex on him. Now, curious listener, listener for whatever dumbass reason, he was not charged with sexual assault. But he was charged with two domestic violence offenses and went back to prison for seven more months. He was released in 2004 and was immediately back on his bullshit. He was in trouble with the law on and off for theft, burglary, and assault. He would later confess to killing a young woman in 2005. We'll get into that later. That same year, 2005, he began what would be a five-year on-and-off relationship with a woman who reported that during that time, he mentally abused her mostly and threatened her physically. Then, in 2010, the shit hit the fan. She reported to police, from a hospital bed, mind you, that Great had repeatedly assaulted her hitting her and punching her in the face. He had grabbed her roughly by the neck and even broke her hand. He absconded from police that day, but was arrested four days later when he was found hiding in the girlfriend's couch. What the fuck? 
he was sentenced to just 180 days in jail. Doesn't seem like long enough at all. And he repeatedly violated a protective order that had been put in place after his arrest by calling the victim over and over and writing her and their cat letters. What is up with this guy? Thankfully, she left him for good after that incident, and she believes that leaving saved her life, saying, quote, Before that night, I feared that he would kill me. That night only strengthened that fear. I now believe more than ever that had I not left him, I would be dead or one of my children would be. End quote. I think she's right. She got away with her life. Good for her. All right. In 2011, he married a woman in Mansfield, Ohio. And this woman gave birth to his third child. She filed for divorce the following year, citing, you guessed it, domestic violence. In 2013, she obtained a restraining order after Great threatened her and her family. After this, he just went from woman to woman, trying to get one after the other to allow him to move in with her because he didn't want to work and he just wanted to live off someone else. He was also doing a lot of drugs at this time. And it worked from time to time. And when it didn't, he would just squat somewhere in an empty building or an abandoned house. And this is precisely what he was doing when the young woman who placed the 911 call that I described in the introduction of the episode called in. So let's pick up there. So it's September 16th, 2016. And a terrified young woman is on the phone with 911, reporting that she has been abducted and informs the dispatcher that her captor has woken up. Amazingly, he didn't catch her. She tells police that he had sat up in bed for just a moment and then laid back down and went back to sleep. Police arrived shortly thereafter, and they were able to get her out safely, and they were able to apprehend and arrest Sean Great without incident. Captain David Lay interviews him at the station, and at first he is somewhat forthcoming. He admitted to chatting up the young woman at the Christian Community Center and luring her back to the house where he was squatting under the guise of discussing the Bible. He admits to hitting her and having sex with her. When asked about the restraints that were found on the bed in the abandoned house, he was, the detective says, hey, you know, what were they for? What were all these straps for? Did you tie her up? And he says, oh yeah, I did try to tie her up. And you know, she probably didn't really want to have sex with me after I hit her and tied her up. After that, he kind of starts to clam up a bit. So Detective Kim Major is brought in. Now, she has a reputation of being able to get sex criminals to trust her and to talk to her. Her interview strategy works, and Sean Great really starts spilling the beans to Detective Kim Major. 
He tells her that he had kidnapped the woman three days prior to her making that 911 call. He said that once she was inside the house, he attacked her. He says she did fight back hard, and that is evident with the defensive marks that are found on the woman, but that he was able to overpower her by choking her. During the interview, Detective Major asks him about a 29-year-old woman named Elizabeth Griffin, who disappeared just a month prior from the same area. Elizabeth Griffin was a paranoid schizophrenic and somewhat childlike, naive, and trusting. And she frequently went to the community center where Great had met the young woman that he had abducted. So they're thinking, could he have done something to poor Elizabeth Griffin? He says that he says about Elizabeth that quote she is set free she don't have to cry no more end quote. He explains that what he meant by that is that no man would really love her because of her mental illness. So now she doesn't have to cry about that anymore. Major of course asks him if he killed her and he admits that he did. This fucking guy. He thinks, you know, he's some kind of fucking hero. Fuck him. You know, fuck him for saying that about this poor woman that he viciously murdered. It's clear to me, and I'm sure it's clear to you, curious listener, that he chose her because he figured she was an easy mark, right? Because of her illness, because she was naive and trusting. This fucker. All right, so he tells the detective that he lured her to that same house where he had been arrested at, where he had abducted the woman who made the phone call. He raped her and killed her. He said that the body was in the closet at the house. He then drops another bombshell and tells Detective Major that there is another body in the basement. He gives the name Stacy. The Stacy that he is referring to is 43-year-old Stacy Stanley, who had gone missing on September 8, 2016, just about a week prior. He admits to coming upon Stacy near a gas station that night when she got a flat tire. Stacy wasn't even from the area, just passing through. She got a flat less than a minute from the abandoned house where he was squatting. He approaches her pretending that he's going to help her. He lures her back to the house saying, oh, there's a tool that I've got there and we can use that to change your tire. It is late at night and she doesn't know the area, so she goes with him. This turns out to be a fatal mistake. Once inside, he attacks Stacy, forces her to perform oral sex on him, and then rapes her. All the while, he is taking video of himself raping her with his cell phone. This is something that he has done with his prior victims as well. This fucker is sick. Just 
sick. This is a way for him to further humiliate his victims because now their sexual assaults are now memorialized. This adds to their shame and their terror, of course. It was also a way for him to relive the rapes over and over. He got off on it. It was clearly, it was clear that he was a sexual sadist. After raping Stacy repeatedly, he strangled her to death. The police interview is quite disturbing, curious listener. And you can see it if you watch one of the documentaries um, about this case. The one that I cite in the show notes show shows this interview. It, it is really unnerving. He actually gets up at one point and demonstrates exactly how he killed Stacy. He strangles her with his hands and then he at one point puts his knee on her throat with all of his weight behind it making sure that he is doing the job and he you know makes this obscene motion of her kind of going limp but he says you know I continued with my knee on her continued choking her for a few minutes after that to make sure. He shows no remorse, no emotion. He reports murdering this innocent woman as if he's talking about, you know, installing a curtain rod or some shit. It's really eerie. All right. So that house is searched. And just like he said, the body of Elizabeth Griffin was found in a closet. She was naked and bound and was discovered hidden under some dirty clothes. Likewise, Stacy Stanley's nude body was found on the basement floor with bags of trash tossed on top of her. This fucker, you know, not only did he viciously assault them and then murder them in cold blood. He then disposes of their bodies in a, you know, very disgusting, unflattering way, leaving them nude, piling trash and dirty clothes on top of them, you know, disgusting. All right, this sicko still isn't done talking. He now tells Detective Major that he choked a woman named Candace. He tells her that he tortured her for three days. And like his other victims, he made a video of himself raping and torturing her. Then he choked her to death. And he says he figured that she deserved it because he believes that she lied to him. Apparently, he had met 29-year-old Candace Cunningham in Mansfield, Ohio, which is about 12 miles from Ashland, that summer in 2016. Mansfield is an area that has several abandoned homes and buildings, and he was squatting in one of them when he met Candace on the street and began dating her. He dated her for a few months. She was an addict, just like he was. And one day he just choked her because he says that she lied to him about something. He tells detectives that he dumped her body in a wooded area in Mansfield. He actually takes detectives directly to the spot where he dumped the body and her body is recovered. 
By now, the word is out about this rapist and serial killer, Sean Great. His sister, Barbara, recalls finding out through Facebook that he had admitted to murdering three women. She was understandably upset. You know, this man who is now a serial killer, a serial rapist, was her little brother. The little brother that she took care of when their mother was out gallivanting around town. She thinks to herself, you know, could I have done something differently so that he wouldn't have grown up to do these things? And, you know, the answer to that, curious listener, is of course the fuck not. Of course not. She was just a fucking kid. You know, she never should have been left to, you know, basically raise them. She does believe that Sean Great learned at a very young age at church which they attended every Wednesday and Sunday for years as children, that as long as you asked for forgiveness and went to church, you could act however you wanted. Now, that is fucked up, you know, really fucked up. Uh, The whole idea to me is fucked up. Uh, And I'm hoping I probably am, but I'm hoping I'm not offending anyone. But, you know, don't get me started on religion because the idea that you can viciously rape and murder someone and then, you know, ask for forgiveness and be forgiven and, you know, go to heaven or whatever the fuck is just, you know, just disgusting. And if that is what it is, I don't want any part of it. So, but, you know, I don't judge anybody for believing what they believe, not at all. You do you, boo. (laughs) You know, I, you know, I'm a live and let live type person, but obviously I draw the line when it comes to criminals. So this, this fucker, I don't give a shit what he thought. You know, he did what he did. And at the end of the day, he did what he did. All right. So detective Kim Manger major asks him if he knows anything about a woman's body that was discovered in April and he immediately offers the name Rebecca Lacey, saying to Detective Major, quote, I had a problem with her once, end quote. Rebecca Lacey, like Sean Great, was a drifter and an addict, and she was homeless at the time that they met living on the street and she needed some money. And so he told her that he would pay her for oral sex. He takes her to an abandoned building and once inside he says, Oh, you know, I got to pee. And so he leaves her alone for a second and for a moment. And he says that he hears her going through her, his stuff and that she takes his money and he confronts her and she says, no dude, I didn't take your money. And that's when he attacks her saying that she lied to him and he lost control. She fights back hard, but he's able to choke her to death in the end. He took her body to the woods and left her next to a tree. This was in 2015, and her body was discovered by a utility company worker several months later in April, like I said, of 2016. Animals had gotten to her body, and she was all but completely decomposed. She was identified using DNA and... In case you're not counting, this is now the fourth murder that Sean Great has confessed to committing.
there turns out to be one more. His first murder. 23-year-old Dana Lowry traveled around selling magazine subscriptions. In Marion County, Ohio, in 2005, she allegedly sold a magazine subscription to Sean Gates' mother, Great's mother. A little while later, her mother complained that the magazine never showed up and that she had been lied to. This was enough for Great to go nuts and into a rage. He found Dana Lowry one day walking along the road in Marion and offered her a ride. He drove her to his grandparents' home where he choked her until she passed out, but she woke up, so he panicked and grabbed a knife from the kitchen and stabbed her to death. He says that killing Dana, like killing Rebecca, was doing the world a favor because they were no good liars. Fuck this guy. You know, fuck this guy. With that kind of logic, somebody should just fucking kill him because he's a no good killer. No good rapist. I hate this guy. <laughs> All right. So he then puts her body in the basement while he visits with his girlfriend, whom he knew was coming over that day. So he just visits with her like he didn't just fucking kill some innocent person. After his girlfriend left, he retrieved her body from the basement and dumped her body along the road in a remote area. He says that he was really nervous that Dana would be discovered, so he returns to her body and burns it later on. Great says that he watched the news like a hawk every day for about a year, thinking that someone was going to find Dana's body, but no one did. He figured that he'd gotten away with it, and he did until now. Her skeletal remains would not be found until two years later, and at the time, the authorities did not know who she was, and she was listed as a Jane Doe. It wasn't until this confession that her case was reopened and she was able to be identified as Dana Lowry. 40-year-old Sean Great is indicted on 23 felonies, including first-degree murder, rape, and abduction. He, pled, he pleaded guilty, actually. And Jane Doe, the woman who called 911, her identity was never released, Test, or at least not that I could find, testified at his sentencing hearing, laying out all of the horrific indignities that she had had to endure at the hands of this monster. Great's sister also testified, but she testified on his behalf, describing his learning disability, his struggles with addiction and mental health. Wah, wah, wah. She was hoping that this might help spare him the death penalty. Sean Gray also spoke at the hearing. He told the victim's families that he was sorry, and he asked for their forgiveness. And to that I say, fuck right off. Fuck right off. I don't want to hear that bullshit. I don't want to hear that bullshit. He's not sorry. He's not sorry. The only thing he's sorry about is that he might face, that he's facing the death penalty. That's it. Despite his attorneys and his sister's best efforts, 
He is found guilty on all charges and is sentenced to death. <laughs> and then he was later tried separately for the 2005 murder of Dana Lowry, was found guilty and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole plus 16 years. Boop, boop. We can do a little celebratory dance now. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. All right. He was scheduled to be executed on September or in September of 2018, but his attorneys managed to get a stay of ex execution. In 2021, he hired some new attorneys, and this prick is still fucking alive at the time of this recording anyways, and serving time on death row in an Ohio prison. I will keep you posted if there are any updates. And you know, you know, maybe I think death should mean death, but you know, maybe it's not such a bad thing. He's probably suffering harder being behind bars. At least I hope he is, but we'll see. As always, curious listener, you can find pictures and whatnot on the Instagram page at cornfedkillerpodcast. Please send correspondence to cornfedkillerpodcast at gmail.com. Send me ideas for episodes. Send me your feedback. Send me your spooky stories. Send me back-in-the-day ideas. Any and all of the above would be wonderful. Uh, speaking of back-in-the-day, I am going to skip the segment for today, and we will... Do it on Friday with our spooky episode. So please don't get mad at me. I promise we will do it on Friday with the spooky episode. So until next time, curious listener. Bye.